0: All right, well, this morning we're in Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, we're in verses uh, 6 through 12 this morning, 6 through 12, Galatians chapter 5. Hopefully you have found your place uh, by now, and we are going to read that, I'm going to read verses 6 through 12, and and the question that we're seeking to answer, that I'm seeking to answer this morning as we walk through this text is, How can we continue to run the race of the Christian life? How can we continue to run the race of the Christian life? So look at verse six with me. It says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and that the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? As in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Let's to the Lord in prayer. God, we come to you this morning thankful for this opportunity to gather together, as your church, Lord, to open your word and to hear your message to us. And God, as we walk through this text here this morning, God, we ask that that you would help us to understand what your word says and how we might apply this to our own lives. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm sure that some of you have run a race in the past. You know, it might have been in high school. It might have been in college? If you were a track star, maybe you made it to college and you were you were running then, or maybe it was as an adult. I mean, it seems like you can sign up for just about anything for a 5K, right? They do a 5K on on anything, and anybody can go and sign up for one of these. Or maybe you've gotten a little bit out of shape this last year, right? I mean, I know many of us have probably put on the COVID nineteen. Um, you know, you say they got the freshman fifteen when you begin college. Uh, there was the COVID-19. I myself got into too many Oreos over the last year. And so maybe you're like that and, and you're on a health kick this year and it is your goal this year to get in shape and it's your goal to run a 5k. This is how you've decided that you are going to get in shape. And a 5k is is a great goal to have. It is, it's short enough that you can complete it. But it is just long enough, if you want to run all of it, that you have to do some sort of training program. And they've got a lot of different training programs out there for 5Ks. And, and one, of, one of the ones that a lot of people sign up for is Couch to 5K. And, and it is what the name implies, right? It will literally take you from sitting on the couch to running a 5K in a, you know some determined amount of time, whatever determined amount of time it is that you want this program to be. And it's, one, it's a great program, but even though you might have the best intentions and, and a good start in this couch to, to 5K tra- training program, if you don't keep at it, if you, if you stop your training halfway through and you just say, man, I am good, um, I've made it off of the couch, I can walk around the block, I'm good, uh, I'm just going to go back and sit on the couch until 5K day comes chances are you're not going to run every step of the 5K and you might end up you know, quitting halfway through and one of your family members has to come and, and pick you up in the car and take you to the finish line. And that's the same when it comes to the race of the Christian line, right? You might have good intentions. You might have a good start. But if you don't keep at it, you aren't going to finish strong and you might not finish well at all. I'm sure that, that many of you have have seen this maybe in your life or the life of others, somewhere along the way, something happens that hinders you from, from running the race of the Christian life. You know, the opposition beats you down with, with persecution. Your affections drift from Jesus to the things of the world. Your sinful nature wins out and you begin to succumb to temptation. And Jesus, he was He was familiar with this, with, with those who started well but didn't finish well. And in Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 18 Jesus he he begins to expound on this parable that he told at the beginning of the chapter and maybe you've read through that it's the parable of the four different seeds it's sown in four different kinds of of soil and one was sown on the path but but this seed it didn't it didn't even have a chance to take root right satan came and and he snatched this away another was sown on the rocky ground and another was sown among the thorns. And both of these seeds, they, they took root and they, and they sprung up, but, but not for long. Tribulation and persecution killed the one in the rocky soil because its roots didn't go deep enough to withstand it. And, and the one that was sown among the thorns, well, the cares of the world ended up choking that one out. Only the fourth seed, the one that was sown in good soil, was able to survive because its roots were able to extend deep. And it was able to get the nourishment that it needed. And when Jesus describes what, what happens here, all too often this, this happens in our in our churches. People have this spiritual encounter. You know, maybe they go off to church camp or or maybe they come for some revival or something like that. Or maybe they just come to, to service and, and they have this spiritual encounter and they get on fire for Jesus. But but somewhere along the line things begin to fade. That that fire that was once burning hot is is now beginning to cool a little bit. Instead of worshiping Jesus, they they run from Jesus and they they run back to their first love, their idols of comfort and and acceptance and and worldly possessions. You see, this happened in Jesus' day. It happens in the church today. It happened in the Galatian church. Many of the members in Galatia, they sprung up with joy when they heard the gospel. They, they put their idols down for a time, and, and they began running with Jesus. They'd been running after Jesus, but then something happened. They allowed the false teachers to come into the church, and they began to believe the false teacher's message, and this began to choke their joy of the gospel out. And when Paul writes this letter, the Judaizers are hindering the Galatians from running and even possibly finishing the race of the Christian life. Paul sees this happen. He, he wants to do what, what any good shepherd would do, right? He steps in to provide some protection. He steps in to provide some guidance so that the Galatians will continue to run the race, so that they will cross the finish line. He wants them to finish strong. He wants us to finish strong. See, it's no accident that this letter has been preserved for us. It's no accident that this letter is in what we call the Bible or God's Word. God has has preserved this text for us so that we might be able to read it and, and seek guidance from it and application and teaching. That's exactly what we see here today. I believe this section tells us how we can finish the race of the Christian life. And so the big question for today is how can we continue to run so that we finish well. Now, first, you have to, to realize that we are in a race, that we are actually running a race. You might be sitting there and you might be thinking, well, well what do you mean race? Uh, you, you might have, have that thought because it's not uncommon to think of, of being a Christian as a one-time decision that you make to believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior at this one definitive point in your life, and that's all that you need to do. And it's not necessarily wrong to to believe that, right? I mean, when we believe in Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior, when we make a profession of faith, we do become a believer. We do become a quote-unquote Christian. And while it's not wrong to think in those terms, I I don't always find it being Helpful to solely think in those terms. I'm not saying you shouldn't think of those terms. I'm saying it's not helpful to solely think in those terms. I don't find it helpful because it gives us the impression that all there is to being a Christian is just this one time belief, this one time confession. And when we only equate Christianity with a decision that we made in the past, we miss a large part of what it means to be a Christian. You see, being a Christian involves us daily making a decision. To pursue Christ. It is a, a daily decision to believe that Jesus is better than anything that this world can offer. It is a daily decision to be awed with Jesus' glorious grace, to allow his glorious grace to drive our life of worship. Yeah. Christianity involves a daily pursuit of Christ. And that daily pursuit is what leads Paul to use this, this metaphor of a race here in our passage. You see, if you know anything about a race, you know that, that making a decision to sign up for a race is just the beginning. You can't say that, that you run, that you have ran the, the Cowtown Marathon, for instance, if you just went and signed up for it. Like you just went online, you put your name in, you paid the fee, and you're like, good, I'm good. I'm, I, I'm a marathoner now. I've run the Cowtown Marathon, right? That, that, that's not what happens. You can't go around telling people that you're a marathoner. You can't take that 26.2 mile, you know, sticker and put that on the back of your car and, and tell everybody, I'm a marathoner, right? If you did that, then people would say, man, that guy or that girl, they're, they're, they're a fraud. Uh, they're not actually a marathoner. And the same thing applies to the Christian life. Believing in Jesus as your Lord and Savior is like signing up for the Cowtown Marathon, but that's just the starting point, right? You can't claim to be a Christian if you aren't actually following Jesus each and every day. The Christian life is a daily choosing to trust and believe in and to follow Jesus. Paul reminds of that in verse seven when he says to the Galatians, you were running well. In other words, you are pursuing Christ. You are daily running after Christ, seeking to be more like him. But now, now you're not running well. Now you aren't even running after Christ. And Paul isn't telling them that to, to shame them. Instead, he tells them this because he cares for them. He wants what's best for them. He wants what's best for them. And what's best for them is for them to daily run after Jesus. You see, the Christian life is like, a race. It is a daily running after Christ in the direction of the heavenly finish line. And there is a finish line, but that finish line doesn't occur in this life. It's not like one day, all of a sudden, you just, you cross this finish line and now you can sit down and you can say, well, I've run the race of the Christian life. That's not how it works. You don't cross the finish line until you die or Jesus comes back, whichever comes first. And we hope, everybody prays, that Jesus would come back before we face death, right? But that isn't always the case. And and that's only gonna happen once for one group of people. And it might be us, and it might not be us. But, But we can't just sit down. There is no time where we can sit down. We must continue to run the race until we cross the finish line. And only those who continue to pursue Christ will cross this finish line into eternity. Now, that, that may have raised some questions with you, and, and let me just clear up what some of you might be thinking. I'm not saying that, that Christianity is a works-based faith. Now, I don't want to he- you to hear me say that or even even imply that, right? There, there's no amount of work that we can do to earn our salvation. There's no amount of work that we can do to make ourselves holy enough so that we can have a restored relationship with the Father and and enter into eternal life and enter into His kingdom. Christianity is not a works-based salvation. Rather, it is to say that the Christian faith involves turning away from the things of the world to Jesus and continually running after Him with all that we have each and every single day. We aren't called to this one-time decision, but rather we are called into a race. And if we're gonna run well and we're gonna finish well, then we must realize that that is actually what's taking place. Now, how do we know if we're running this race after Jesus? Well, we know that we're running the race after Jesus when we see ourselves loving God and others and obeying the truth in his word. Now, after mentioning how the Galatians were running in, in verse 7, Paul asked them in the second half of the verse this question, who has hindered you from obeying the truth? And, you know, it's already implied. They, they know who has hindered him, and, they, and Paul knows who's hindered them. It's, it's the Judaizers, right? The Judaizers have hindered the Galatians from running this race. And Paul's calling out the Judaizers here. But Paul's question wasn't only meant to call out the Judaizers, it was also meant to to teach them that running the race of the Christian life involves living in obedience to the truth and delighting to do so. And not just not just any truth, right? I mean, the world calls a lot of things true. You can go on the internet, you can pull up some sort of talk show, and you can see people saying this is truth, and that's truth, and truth is relative, and your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth, and all of this stuff, right? I mean, there's just All this talk about whose truth is the right truth and everybody's truth is the right truth. And if everybody's truth is the right truth, then nobody's truth can be the right truth. But you get what I'm saying. But we have some objective truth. We have objective truth and it's found in God's word. The true truth is found in God's word. And that tells us that Christians know they're running the race of the Christian life when they see themselves obeying God's Word, when they see themselves obeying the truth that's found in God's word. Now, that also means that, that, that if you don't see yourself obeying the truth found in God's word, well, th- then you very well might not be running the race of the Christian life. You might need to ask yourself, am I really in this race or do I, am I just like that person who sa- signed up for the Cowtown Marathon is calling themselves a the marathoner who's actually never run a marathon or never even ran a race at all? A- am I that guy? Or am I really in the race? You see, if we're gonna be in the race of the Christian life, we've actually got to be someone who knows what God's word says and we live by what God's word says. And not only do Christians seek to obey the truth that is found in God's word, but here's the deal. We delight in doing so. I'm not talking about just some cold, sterile, Man, I I I've just gotta obey what God's word says, or God's out to get me. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about someone who delights in following God's word, who delights in obeying God's word. Right? The psalmist talks about that. He he delights in the law. And for for, for a long time I thought, well, why does the psalmist delight in the law? I mean, the law is just nothing but you know, rules and regulations, and it just creates these restrictions on us. Why would the psalmist delight in the law of God? It's because God's Word tells us how we are to live. And he sees God's Word as that which is completely good, and, and God is completely wise. He is the one who tells us and directs us, and we can trust what He has to say. And so we delight in that because it is what is right and it is what is good. And when we follow God's law, life generally goes well for us. And even if life doesn't go well for us in the world, we have joy in doing so. And we have joy in knowing that we are following the all wise creator and sustainer of this entire world. And so those who are believers, they, they not only obey God's word, that is it's not this is not the only thing we need to look at, but do you delight in obeying God's word? That's what we that's where we need to be. And so we know that we're running the race of the Christian life when we see that we are obedient to God's word and we delight in it. And Christians also know they're running the race of the Christian life when we see a love for God and for others in our life. This is what Paul's getting at here. In verse 6, so skip back up to verse 6 with me. He says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And so, in other words, neither religion, which he refers to here as circumcision, nor irreligion, which he refers to here as uncircumcision, neither of these count for anything, right? I mean, we can follow the path of religion. We can, we can follow all of the rules. We can attend every single church service. We can help the poor. We can even proclaim Christ to the world. But if we do those activities in an effort to earn or either maintain a relationship with the Father, we are acting like the religious person. We are seeking to come to God based on a works-based salvation. And he says, look, that doesn't count for anything. On the other hand, we can live life to the fullest with just reckless abandon. We can can blaze our own path. We can live true to ourselves. We can participate in, in any number of licentious behavior that is out there. And in the end, that doesn't count for anything either. And that just leaves us empty and unfulfilled. The only thing that counts is faith working through love. Because faith is the only thing that energizes our love for God and others. And and faith is not just this like blind leap in the dark. Faith is our sure belief and trust in Jesus, in the promises of God. Faith is is believing and trusting that that Jesus paid the price for our sins, that that we don't have to do anything. That it is Jesus who, who died on our behalf. That Jesus took our condemnation us, that He alone is the one who repairs our relationship with the Father, and we can rest in that. We don't have to go out and do anything. We don't, we don't, have, to, we don't have to worry about it, if, if I have this relationship with the Father or not. We don't have to be anxious about that. Faith gives us that. It's the belief should also change us, as well as it should energize us to love God And it should energize us to to love others. This is how we know that we're exercising true faith. This is how we know that we are running the race. We love God with with all of our being, right? With all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with with everything, we love God. We we don't want anything else but the things of God and God himself, right? We're not saying, well, we need God and, and a little bit of this over here. It is all God and we are completely and utterly satisfied with Him. And we love others as ourselves. Right? When we have that kind of love for God, when we have that kind of love for others, we can be assured that we are running the race of the Christian life. But if we aren't delightfully living in obedience to God's Word, if we aren't loving God with all of our mind, body, and soul, and others as ourselves, then we aren't running the race of the Christian life. You know, it's just, it's just as simple as that. And so when you look at your life, do you find that your life is marked by a love for God and for others? And do you find that, that you are living in obedience to God's word? Do you find that, that you delight in God's word? Do you find that those things are true in your life? You see, if we, we are truly believe the glorious truths of the gospel, our, our hearts our affections, our will will be impacted by that. And it should change the way that we live and it should change in what we delight in. We can't bring this change about in ourselves. And this is why it's such a good test because God must bring this change about in our hearts. He must change our heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. He must change our hearts from from those which, which wanna rebel against God and those which wanna run from God to to people who now desire the things of God, who want the things of God, who want to run after him, who want to read his word and obey his word, who delight in doing so, who love him with all their being and who love others as themselves. This is not natural to us. Rather, this is a change that God brings about in us. And so when we see this, we know that we are truly in the race of the Christian life. We know that that is the truth. Now, obedience to the truth of God's word is is super important. It's it's God's truth that that we are to follow. But but have you ever wondered, well, why can we follow the truth of God's word? What makes it possible, in other words, for people to have lived by this truth for thousands and thousands of years? Why should we base our, our life on this? Well, we can follow God's truth. And it can be the basis of our running because God hasn't and won't change his mind about how we run the race. Paul continues to confront the Galatians here. Uh, In verse 8, he tells them that the persuasion is not from him who calls you. In other words, the teaching that you have received from the Judaizers, that, that you've got to add circumcision to the gospel in order to be saved, this is not from God. He hasn't, and he will never change his mind about what provides you with salvation. It's not like we're gonna wake up all of a sudden one day and God's gonna say, you know, I've had this plan that is gonna be through Jesus before the foundations of the world was ever created, but I'm changing my mind today, and now you better get to work. It's all about the works that you can do. It's all about how holy you can become. It's all about the things that you do for other people and the things that you do for me. That's how we're going to do this from now on. That's not how it happens. That's not how it will happen. God is never going to change. God is always going to be the same. He is always going to relate to us through our belief and trust in Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior. And if somebody comes and and they tell you otherwise, that you must do something in order to believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior in order to be saved, that there's some sort of work that you've got to add to it like the Judaizers are doing here with the Galatians. Well, you know, you got to believe the gospel, but, but you've also got to look a certain way. You've got to talk a certain way. You've got to circumcise yourself if you've not been circumcised. And you can add anything in for this this word circumcision, right? Anything that you might think that you need to do in order to be a quote unquote good Christian or a believer in Jesus. Anything. If somebody comes and they say, you need to believe plus this, then we need to run from those people instead of running alongside of them which tells us that one of the major ways we continue to run the race of the Christian life is by running from and by removing false teachers. Starting in verse nine, Paul essentially tells them this when he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Now, I'm not a baker. My wife does all the baking in our family. Uh, but, but it's my understanding that, that if you put some sort of leavening agent in there, then, you know, the whole lump is going to be leavened. Even if you just put a little bit, right? You can't just, you can't just put a little bit and expect it not to leaven, right? And if you don't want it to leaven, then, then you've got to take out the entire bit of leavening agent. There's no getting around it. That's just, that's just how it works. And that's the same with false teachers. If you allow them in, they're going to end up affecting the whole church. There's, there's no way to avoid it. It's going to happen, which means that we should not naively believe that we can just sit underneath false teaching and we can take some of the truth from that person and we can discard that which is not true. Right? We should not kid ourselves because false teachers are sneaky. False teachers are slick. They can, they can come up with all kinds of different ways to twist the truth, and to twist God's word so that it sounds what is right. And the next thing you know, you're sitting under this person and you know, man, they don't always get it right, but, but they say some really good things and they inspire me. And so I'm going to continue to listen to them. I'm going to continue to watch them. I'm going to continue to read books by them. And the next thing you know, you're, you're parroting some of the things that they say that, that's false. You're taking some of the things that they say that's false and you begin to apply that to your own life. And you begin to believe that. And you begin to to tell that to other people. You see, there's no way that, that we can sit underneath false teaching and not allow it to affect us. Or there's no way that we can allow false teachers to continue in the church without it affecting the entire church. It's just going to happen that way. There's no getting around it. We're all going to be affected one way or another if false teachers continue in the church, which means that if we want to continue to run the race of the Christian life, the race that we have been called to run, we must run from false teachers and we must remove them from the fellowship. That's what you have to do with leaven. If you don't want the bread to to rise, right? You, You have to get rid of it. And that's what you have to do with false teachers. If you're going to continue to run the race of the Christian life, you have to remove them. So that you don't believe that this is just this what if conversation, like, okay, I hear what you're saying. Um, yeah, false teachers, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they would They would never come in to this church. I want you to know that, that false teachers will arise in the church and they will tempt you. Jesus tells us it's going to happen. And. Mark chapter 13, verses 22 to 23, Jesus tells us that in the end times, we're living in the end times now, Jesus tells us, for false Christs and false prophets will arise, not maybe, but will arise, and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. Jesus is not the only one who warns us. Paul warns the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, excuse me, 29 through 31 when he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for the three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Peter, another apostle, he reveals that false teachers will come when he says in 2 Peter 2.1, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. See, it's not a matter of if this is gonna happen. It's just a matter of when will this happen. False teachers will appear. False teachers will seek to lead people astray, to keep us from continuing to run the race of of the Christian life. And when we encounter these false teachers, we need to run from them and we need to remove them. But here's the thing, false teachers, they don't typically come in with this, you know, name tag on that says, I'm a false teacher. They don't come in holding a sign that says, "Hey, look at me. I'm a false teacher. You guys should run from me. Don't run with me. You should you should cast me out of the church. You should have nothing to do with me." We read some of those verses, right? They come in, you know, as sheep, as wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. They 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 sneak their way in and they begin to propagate their false teaching. And then all of a sudden you realize, man, I've been deceived. And so how do we determine who is and isn't a false teacher? Well, first, let me say you've got to know God's word. I mean, we have no hope of determining what is and what is not false teaching if we don't know the truth of God's word. That's, right. That's why it's important that at our church here that, that we teach you God's word that all of the sermons that you hear, I'm going to stand up here, I'm going to open God's Word, I'm going to read from it, I'm going to continually point you back to the text that I'm, that I'm preaching on so that you can examine it, so that you can make sure that what I'm saying is correct. That's why in small group Bible studies, Sunday school, Bible study throughout the week, Wednesday night, or any other time, we want to make sure that that is Grounded in God's word, that we're teaching from God's word, that we're allowing God's word to be what is primary, not our opinions, but God's word. That's why we ask for you to bring a copy of God's word to the service with you, <clears throat> whether that be, you know, a physical copy or on your phone or iPad or whatever you got. And that's why we also encourage you to have personal times of Bible study, right? In personal times of devotion. We know that God's Word is what we have to know. And we, we know that God's Word is what protects us from false teaching. But in order for be to be protected from false teaching, we have to know God's Word. And so imagine how difficult it will be for a false teacher to gain a foothold in this church and, and in your life if if every time you came to the service or every time you came to a Bible study, you, you brought God's word with you, you opened it, you followed along with it. Then you went home and you meditated on God's word. And, and then when you were in Bible study, you had God's word open. And then you, 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 you went and met with people throughout the week or you came on Wednesday nights for our time of Bible study where we're diving deeper into the text that we're looking at here on Sunday mornings. I mean, imagine having personal devotions each and every day, at least several times throughout the week, and you're reading through God's Word. It'd be pretty hard for a false teacher to come in and to start propagating false teaching because we would know what God's Word says. See, we we don't want to just imagine that. We want that to happen here at this church. We want this church to be a disciple-making church, a, a church that that is full of disciples who are making disciples. And the only way that we're going to be able to do that is with God's word. We can't do that with our own opinions. We can't do that with our own stories. We have to do that with God's word because we are making disciples of Christ. And that's what we need to be about the business of doing. But we can only be about the business of doing that. We can only be about the business of protecting ourselves and others from false teachers if we know God's Word. Another way in which we can determine who is and isn't a false teacher is by watching a teacher's life. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit <clears throat> is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you are ne- recognize them by their fruits. And so just because somebody talks a big game doesn't mean that they aren't dangerous, right? You, you've got to look past what they're saying, you've got to look at a person's life. And so what are some of the fruits that you should look at? Well, let me just give you a few. Pride or constantly defying authority. Do they always talk about themselves in a prideful manner and puff themselves up? Or are, they, are they defying authority? Are they somebody who, who doesn't want to sit underneath the authority of anybody else? You know, is this person a person who is given to sensual sins or Are they greedy for money or material gain? Are they argumentative or they desire to to stir things up to create disunity? If you see those things in people, that might be a false teacher. That's somebody that, that you definitely should not be receiving teaching from. That's somebody that you should run from instead of run to. More can be said about you know, some tactics in order to figure out who false teachers are. But, but I think that we see here, at least we have a, an understanding that if we're going to guard ourselves from false teaching, we've got to know God's word and we've got to be fruit inspectors. And so it's not if, but it's when. And so we need to guard ourselves from false teaching. We need to run from false teachers and we need to remove them when they appear. The last thing I want to say today about running the race of the Christian life is that the Christian life is not an easy race to run. Paul is a Christian marathoner, right? He, he knew this all too well. Verse 11, he says this, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Paul knows that he's running in a race. He loves God. He loves others. He runs from, he removes false teachers, but he still experiences difficulty. The Christian life is is not an easy race to run. Instead of thinking of this as this wide open track, we need to think of it more like an obstacle course, more like a Ninja Warrior course, right? My, My family and I, we love watching Ninja Warrior. Maybe you like watching Ninja Warrior, and you see those obstacle courses, man, they are super difficult, even though some guys make it look like it's super easy, and you're like, I can do that. And then I go out here in the back playground with my, with my kids, and I can barely get across the monkey bars, you know? It's difficult to do, but these guys make it look easy. But it's not easy. It's hard. It takes a lot of training for those guys to be able to do that ninja warrior, of course, and to be able to make it look easy. It's like the Christian life, right? We, we've got to train for it. We've got to prepare. We've got to continually go back to God's word. We've got to continue to go to Jesus and in prayer. We've got to depend on other people. We've got to be in community with other people because the race that we are running is not an easy race. It's not on a flat track. It's not even on a hilly track. It's not even like running up a mountain. It's like running an obstacle course, one that wants to keep you from finishing. See, we need other people. We need one another. We need God's Word. I know it seems strange, but the very news that provides entrance into the race of the Christian life, you know, the gospel message that, that Jesus freely saves from condemnation and provides eternal life, the news that gives us hope <clears throat> in this broken world, the news that restores our relationship with the God of this world is the very news that invites spiritual persecution, spiritual warfare. The Christian life is not an easy race to run, but is the only race we should run because it's the only race that provides us with true salvation and hope. And for all its difficulties, then, let's, let's purpose to be a people who run the race of the Christian life. Let's call others to, to join in and run this race with us. You know, race that, that you can join today by turning from your sins, from your re- rebellion against God, recognizing that He is the all-wise, all-sovereign creator and sustainer of this world, that Jesus is our only hope for salvation. You can enter into this race today. And if you're in this race today and you you can respond. You can respond today by praising and worshiping Jesus. You can respond today by reflecting on how you are running. You can respond today by worshiping the Savior who has provided you with salvation. And so here I'm going to pray. Nathan and them are going to come and he's going to lead us in a song of worship. And if you want to profess your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior publicly, I'll be be down here at the front. If you want to gather together for coffee or lunch this week, I'd be happy to to gather with you to to talk more about Jesus, talk more about how things are going in your life, even if you're a believer. But now is the time for us to respond, both believers and non-believers alike. And so let's take this opportunity to respond and to worship Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for all that you do, Lord. We thank you for the many ways in which you work in our life. We thank you for Jesus, for the salvation that he provides us. And Lord, today, if there's someone here who doesn't know you, God, we ask that you would call them into the race, that you would work in their life, that you would would change their life, and change their heart so that they desire you and they desire to run for you and to you and with you, God. Lord, we thank you for this time of worship. In this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. amen.